Jennifer and I have coffee together in the mornings before I come in or before she goes to work. And a lot of times when we hit about Wednesday or Thursday, uh, she'll ask me, what are you going to do this Sunday? And that's especially true if she knows she's going to be out of town. So she's out of town today. And so typically the conversation will start. We'll start talking about what I'm going to do this Sunday sermon-wise. And then, especially if I manuscript the sermon, she'll say, well, you'll have to you know, do a dress rehearsal tonight. And she gets to hear it first, right? And I said, well, I'm not manuscripting the sermon this Sunday, um, but definitely one of the things that is coming to mind continually as I read through Ezekiel and Daniel, you know, two of the last prophets of the exile that certainly got read after they came back from exile, is that there's just this continuing theme, and it's happening over and over again as I read these books. And that theme is, even though you're in exile, and you're down by the river in this foreign land where you don't feel at home, It's about time to go home. It's almost time to go home. That's the theme of Ezekiel and Daniel. And she says, well, that sounds great. And I said, yeah, even even saying it out loud while we're sitting here, and I'm just telling you what we're going to do on Sunday, it sounds great. And I said, you know, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to start the sermon that way. Yeah, I'm just going to say, here's what I'm going to talk about going to talk about how these two exilic prophets who were probably read most after they got home from the exile. Now think about that. These prophets that are always talking about we're about to go home when they were most read by the people of God was after they got back. Why? Why read about something that you're trying to forget? about what it was like to be off in exile. It's to remember that the message of Ezekiel especially is, you're not home anymore, you're by this foreign river off in a foreign land and all you can think about is going home, but I want to tell you something from the mouth of God, God's with you here just as much as God is with you in the temple in Jerusalem. And so it's actually kind of neat that the way Ezekiel ends, in multiple chapters, by the way, is with the plans for the second temple, the blueprints, and how that became one of the most significant passages of Scripture for the exilic people in the post-exile, when they came home from being prisoners in a foreign land. It was to know that when it was time to go home, God was with them. Here's the question. Ezekiel asks it twice, and it's basically the same question. In 9.8, while they were killing and I was left alone, I fell prostrate on my face and I cried out, Oh, Lord God, will you destroy all the remain of Israel as you pour out your wrath upon Jerusalem? And then... Same question basically in 11.13. Then I fell down on my face and I cried out with a loud voice and said, O Lord God, will you make a full end of the remnant of Israel? 
the answer from both Ezekiel and Daniel to people already in exile is exactly the same. No, I won't. And I'm going to take you home. I'm taking you home. And I'm pretty sure that that is a pretty relevant message for us today. When we can look around on any given day and lean into being surrounded by a lot of chaos. There's a lot of chaos out there. We come in here and maybe like the song we sang and maybe like even Ezekiel, we ask, "Is what are you up to, God? You're going to leave us out here to our own devices? And God says no. Even from a very old book like Ezekiel. The temple instructions, and I'm going to read just a little bit, because you don't want to hear me read like all eight chapters, but just a little bit. You know, if you want to check your email or something while I do, that's okay, but try to listen because I promise you there is some real significance to this. Ezekiel 40. In the 25th year of our exile, at the beginning of the year, on the 10th day of the month, in the 14th year after the city was struck down, on that very day the hand of the Lord was upon me and He brought me there. He brought me in visions of God to the land of Israel and set me down on a very high mountain on which was a structure like a city to the south. When He brought me there, a man was there who appearance shone like bronze with a linen cord and a measuring reed in his hand, and he was standing in the gateway. The men said to me, Mortal, look closely, listen attentively, and set your mind upon all that I shall show you. For you were brought here in order that I might show it to you, declare all that you see to the house of Israel. Now, there was a wall all around the outside of the temple area, the length of the measuring reed in the man's hand was six long cubits, each being a cubit and a handbreadth in length. So he measured the thickness of the wall, one reed, and the height, one reed. Doesn't that just give you chills? Okay, but put yourself the Kabar River in Babylon... 25 years you've been in exile. That's when this one starts. 25 years you've been away from home. You've spent 25 years wanting to leave, wanting to go home, wanting to be somewhere else. And Ezekiel comes and says, let me tell you, God is speaking through me to tell you we're going home. And the way that you know we're going home is I'm going to show you some pictures. I'm going to show you some blueprints. That's what these are. They're blueprints. Have you ever built your own house? You know how exciting it is when you get the blueprints? Now, only you are going to know that. You know, you can't have the family over and aunts and uncles and the grandkids and say, come look at the blueprints. And then they're like, okay, this is exciting. You're the one who's going to be excited about it. That's what it was like 
for the people who received this, who were hurting, who just wanted to go home. And Ezekiel came out and said, guess what, y'all? Just got the blueprints. It's almost time to go home. And it thrilled their souls. Daniel, on the other hand, is a little more flowery in his storytelling. And these are ones that make you go, oh, okay. Daniel got read most after they got home. And there were stories about lion's dens. And there were stories about fire. And I'm thinking that today is not a bad day for us to hear stories about making it through the fire. We need to hear stories like this. Forget worrying about historical, literal, the history of it. That's not why this story was written. This story was written to inspire. This story was written to fill you with hope that when you're walking through the fire, God's there with you and you can make it through. Until recent times, this story was told as an allegory, as a comparison to your own life. That's the way most of these stories were told up until just recent times. And so in honor of the old way that this story was told for centuries, hear Daniel 3 and let it inspire and may it help you to endure. King Nebuchadnezzar made a golden statue whose height was 60 cubits and whose width was 6 cubits. In other words, big statue. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent for the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to assemble and to come to the dedication of the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces assembled for the dedication of the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. When they were standing before the statue that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, in languages that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, and the entire musical ensemble, you are to fall down and worship the golden statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down in worship shall immediately be thrown into a furnace, a blazing fire. Therefore, as soon as all the people heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, and entire musical ensemble, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Pause. You feeling that there's kind of a musicality to this prose? You know why? There's one main reason that ancient writers in languages like this wrote in not poetry, kind of pseudo-poetry, but they wrote musically like that. How many uh, stories 
do you have memorized? You know, like, like word for word stories that someone else wrote. Probably not that many. How many songs can you sing along to that you know by heart? This was written in this way to do two things. It was meant to inspire, but it was meant to be memorized. And you know why? It was so that the people of God, when they were about to go through what we're about to hear, because, spoiler alert, there's some people who aren't going to do the whole whatever this guy set up thing with the lyre and the drum. They're not going to do it. And we need to hear stuff like this. We need to hear this story. We need to hear it in one another's midst. And here's why we need to hear it. Verse 8. Accordingly, at this time certain Chaldeans came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, and the entire musical ensemble shall fall down and worship the golden statue, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These pay no heed to you, O king. They do not serve your gods, and they do not worship the golden statue that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought in. So they brought those men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods and you do not worship the golden statue that I have set up. Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, and the entire musical ensemble to fall down and worship the statue that I have made well and good, but if you do not worship you shall immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Guess what happens? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king. O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to present a defense to you in this matter. If our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and out of your hand, O king, let him deliver us. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods, and we will not worship the golden statue that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was so filled with rage against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face was distorted. (laughs) 
he ordered the furnace heated up seven times more than was customary and ordered some of the strongest guards in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. So the men were bound, still wearing their tunics, their trousers, their hats, and their other garments. And they were thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. Because the king's command was urgent and the furnace was overheated, the raging flames killed the men who lifted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But the three of them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound, into the furnace of blazing fire. Then, King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, rose up quickly. He said to his counselors, Was it not three men that we threw bound into the fire? They answered the king, True, O king. He replied, But I see four unbound, walking in the middle of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the fourth looks like a god. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their tunics were not harmed, and not even the smell of fire came from them. Nebuchadnezzar said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him. They disobeyed the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation or language that utters blasphemy against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins for there is no other god who is able to deliver in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. And that's the end of the story. The king Nebuchadnezzar, he still has a little bit to learn about, you know, grace of God, love, compassion, grace, and all that. So the whole, okay, if you don't worship the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we're going to tear you limb from limb. Okay, well, it's not exactly what this was supposed to end like. But anyway, we're, we can be patient. Could you use a little inspiration today? I could. You ever feel like you're walking through the fire? Maybe the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego story is to help us remain faithful. Maybe this story is about us as the people of God, the remnant of God's people. And sometimes the things that we live out and go through. 
I think that we have outsmarted ourselves when it comes to these kinds of stories. Why, did this really happen? You're missing the point of the story. This is a story that is meant to inspire. I took a group of people to Israel years ago, and there were um, some Palestinian Christians with us. And as we went from place to place, like we went up on this one hill, and we sat down, and the, the Christians we were with said, this is where Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. And I, I mean, it just, it set me ablaze. I just, I was so inspired until I heard somebody off to the side of me go, yeah, we don't know that. Mm. Mm -hmm. Why'd you do that? You know, whatever happened to imagination? What happened to a little bit of inspiration? We daily are having to face Nebuchadnezzars who even when they learn may not even know any better and they're binding us and they're overheating the furnace to seven times and they're throwing us in the fire every day. This, this story, this marvelous story that was told to the people probably while they were still in exile but certainly after they got back home. And you know what happened? When they got back home, they got back into their same old routines and they forgot what it was like to be thrown into the fire in exile. So you know what they did? The prophets and the people around held up this kind of story and said, we're going to write this story in such a way that every time it gets told, whether we tell it to our children or our children's children or they're preaching it in Houston, Texas in 2022, it's meant to do one thing, and it's meant to inspire, and it's meant to say, if you're going through the fire, and you're going through hard times, no matter what you face, God's there with you. And maybe sometimes God's there with you, and you may not even know it. People around you may look into the fire and say, there's a fourth one in there with them. Well, what in the world is that about? I don't know. The text doesn't say, and that's on purpose, because it's meant to fire the imagination. It's meant to say... Just come dwell in this story for a little while. And as God or an angel or Jesus or whoever it was walking around in that fire with you, you can know one thing and you can know it for sure. And the way that you know it for sure is by faith. That right here, right now, whether you're walking through the fire or you're about to or you just got out, God's with you now. God's with you tomorrow, and God was with you yesterday. And that's why we have to keep telling these stories. 